We're going to continue in our series, The Last Days. And our title today is Last Days and the Judgment. You know, when you, when you hear the words, the judgment, in our culture, our society, it tends to be a fairly ominous, like, death and destruction and condemnation. Judgment Day. I just Googled the word Judgment Day, and we have fiery images of destruction and just cataclysmic disasters and so forth, the planet exploding, uh, or, or this picture, which was interesting. I can't read the writing over there, but here we see people on the right side trying to get over to paradise, but they have to do it on this little tightrope, and they're not making it. They're falling, desperately trying to hang on, but they're falling down below. Just to let you know, our sermon is not going to be emphasizing this. It's not going to be teaching this. But this is what comes to our mind, right? When we think about the judgment. And we've identified already that one of the responses to the last days is a response of fear. Partly a fear because of you know, events that we've heard will happen and things for fear of physical safety. But a large part of it is fear of spiritual well-being. Am I good enough? Am I going to make it? How can I be prepared? Am I condemned? Is it, I, you know how sinful you are, and as you think about the judgment, you have fear because you've heard and seen pictures and images like this. I hope to take a little bit different approach today. Uh, when I was at seminary, I read a refreshing paper, a couple of papers, that helped me understand the, the, the idea of judgment has been badly misrepresented from the Bible. Now, sure, judgment can and does mean that there is punishment, just and fair punishment for evildoers. And really, that's actually a, a very good thing, because how many of you can think about people in this world who have gotten away with crimes and haven't been punished, right? Ultimately, judgment teaches us that someday, even if they didn't get punished here in this world, they will get a just and a fair punishment. So even the negative aspect of judgment is a positive thing. But today I want to remind us and highlight some of the positive aspects, just a little bit of biblical definitions. And I, I can refer you to a really good paper if you want a lot more information. But just as we get started, judgment has a very positive meaning in many aspects of the Bible. Judgment can mean to justify. The word justify, uh, you can remember it by the phrase, just as if I'd never sinned. Right? When God justifies us, in his eyes, it's just as if we've never done anything wrong. So, so listen to this verse, Romans 8, verse 1. This is an act of judgment. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's an act of judgment. And it's a really good one. We are justified when we accept Christ, when we confess our sins to Him. He looks at our record and He says, what sin? Amen. Right? We saw the, the God's selective memory already. He says, what sin? Judge also means to save. And we see this very clearly uh, throughout the Bible and in the Old Testament. I'll read you here from Psalm 37. We get both angles of judgment. The negative first, now the positive. 
Listen to the negative. All sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. That's the negative. But then it continues. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. So, judgment is a two-edged sword. Uh, And if we have accepted the judge into our life, we don't have to fear the negative aspect, the justice aspect of it. Judge means justify, judge means save, judge also means deliver. Have you read the book of Judges or heard stories? Like, who, who are some of the judges? Samson, okay. How many stories do we have of Samson sitting on a, a seat of justice and judging and condemning people? No, instead we have stories where Samson makes mistakes, but we have a lot of stories where Samson delivers the people. The, the judges were not people like Deborah, who were there to condemn people, Barak, the, the, the different judges that we have, Gideon, he was delivering people. We could rename the book of Judges to the book of deliverers. God would raise up. There's a pattern. The people would fall into sin. They'd leave God. They would have the enemies attack them. And then they'd cry out to God, and God would raise up a deliverer, a judge. So judges also means to deliver. But it also can mean vindicate, setting the record straight. We get falsely accused of things. Uh, we also get justly accused of things. But God is a God of justice. He's our judge, and he will one day vindicate us. And we'll see this more other places in the message today. David, in the Psalms, three times in the Psalms, and you can write this down and look it up later, but in Psalm 7, verse 8, in Psalm 26, verse 1, in Psalm 35, just remember Psalm 7, 26, and 35, David calls out and he says, God, judge me. And it wasn't because David was just longing to be condemned and punished and thrown into a lake of fire. No, because David understood that when God is our judge, he wants to justify us, he wants to save us, he wants to deliver us, and he wants to vindicate us. So David, he says, God, please judge me. Please judge me. So we have this basic biblical understanding that there are so many positive aspects. Sure, we're not denying that judgment does involve justice, and those who reject God's mercy receive God's justice. But we see over and over again, God as judge is a really really good thing. But you know, there are actually at least seven phases of judgment that we can think about in the Bible. A lot of us think about just one. We know like the pre-Advent judgment. We'll talk about that. Started in 1844. But there are seven phases of judgment. There was judgment, little mini judgments that happened before the cross. We can think about these special examples. It was almost like miniature examples of a future judgment that will take place. We can think about stories like the flood. Second Peter chapter 3, we're told that, that um, this was an example of what was going to happen later on. Uh, we think about Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth. All little mini judgments where God, in a sense, was bringing justice early. Bringing justice early. So, so we have the judgment 
of the pre-cross, but then we also have the judgment that happened on the cross. Uh, and I, I want to show you, point you to a couple of verses here. Turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. I want you to see this with your own eyes from your own Bible or smartphone or the Bible from the pew in front of you. John chapter 12 and verse 31. John chapter 12, verse 31, are you there? You don't have to say you're there if you're not there. <laughs> I'm there in my mind, preacher. <laughs> right. John 12, 31. Now is the what? Judgment of this world. Jesus is speaking and he says now he's preparing to get on the cross. And he's saying, right now, this is the judgment of the world. The ruler of the world will be cast out. Who's he talking about there? Talking about Satan. Verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw how many peoples? All peoples to myself. Jesus was saying, a work of judgment is happening, and it's happening now. Look over to, flip over to chapter 16, uh, verse 11. John 16, verse 11. Second phase of judgment happened on the cross. John 16, verse 11. It says, of judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. Is is a present tense. It's going on. It's happening. Again, the ruler of the world at that time was Satan, because Satan, we had given control of the world to Satan, starting with Adam and Eve. Jesus is saying, uh, judgment is happening right now. So in a certain sense, judgment was happening before the cross, judgment was happening on the cross, but judgment is really happening in our lifetime, at any point in our lifetime. We, we already saw that when we accept Christ, Romans 8, that there's no condemnation. In fact, check out this verse here. This is an awesome verse. Stay in the book of John, go to chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 24. John 5 and verse 24. Really good words here. Really good news. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has what? Everlasting, Everlasting life. And has not come into what? Judgment. Judgment, but has passed from life, or excuse me, from death into life. So in, in our lives, at any point in our life, when we accept the work of Jesus on our behalf, we have crossed over from death into life. God has performed a work of judgment in that very moment. So this is super awesome. There was the Bible commentator George Ladd, and he wrote these words about this experience. He said, the doctrine of justification means that God has pronounced an eschatological verdict of acquittal over the man of faith in the present, in advance of the final judgment. In other words, God has taken our answer right now and applied it to all future judgment and said, that's good enough for me. I'm accepting him based on the merits of Jesus and he's secure in my salvation in that very moment. So we have the judgment 
pre-cross, many judgments, judgment on the cross, judgment in our lifetime, and then there's the pre-advent judgment. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment, but if Jesus is going to return, and the Bible says he has rewards to give to those at his return, he has to have done some sort of judgment beforehand. And we're going to find out it's more for the angel's sake than for anybody else's sake. We'll talk about that again in just a moment. And then there's another judgment, phase of judgment, that happens when Jesus returns. It's, we call it the executive phase. Jesus comes back, and it's either you're going with me, or you're not going with me. He's executing what has already been put into place by our decisions. Listen to the words here of Matthew 16. Well, in fact, let's just turn there real quick. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 27. says there, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. There's a reward coming. Uh, and praise God, if we are in Christ, he forgets all the bad we've done, and he sees the good that Jesus has done through us, and we get rewards. This is such a good God that we serve. But then there's the judgment that happens during the millennium. As you look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, you read that we actually get to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. We're in heaven at this point, and we get to, to look at the books. It says, and the books were opened there in Revelation chapter 20. In a sense, it's almost like we're judging God and the decisions that God has made. Because there are, they th say that there are three surprises when you get to heaven. Number one, that you're there. Which shouldn't come as a surprise, but it's, a, it's just wonderful that you're there. Number two, you'll be surprised that there are people who aren't there that you thought were going to be there. And you're going to want to see why. And it's a time when, when, when we get to, and I don't think we'll be reading the records during that whole time. I think we'll be mostly having a lot of fun. But then also, we're going to want to spend some time. God, I thought they were going to be here. Why aren't they here? And he'll show everything that he's done to save and we'll see rejection time and time again of God's mercy. But then we'll, we'll see people in heaven who we didn't think were going to be here, there, and we'll say, God, why are they here? <laughs> did you really see what they did? And praise God, <coughs> the record will be there if anybody wants to see it, of how they accepted and their sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus. Isaiah was cut in half by the king during his day. He may have some questions when he sees that King Manasseh actually is in the kingdom. God, I have a couple questions for you. Could I speak to you privately? <laughs> right? So that's the judgment during the millennium. And, and we're going to see, just and true are your ways, O oh God. God, you made the right decision, and I'm so thankful for it. And then we get to the seventh and final phase, which is the last judgment. This is at the end of the millennium, described there in Revelation 20 and 21, where God returns with all of us in the heavenly city, 
and he's going to make the earth new again. But before he makes the earth new, he's got to cleanse it all. He's got to turn that oven onto that setting. You know, some of you have those ovens where you, you lock it and you set it on auto clean and it just gets really, really, really hot. And everything bad, the casserole that had dripped onto the floor of your oven, ideally turns to ashes and can be swept away. Um, it's kind of like God does that with our universe. And it's a just judgment. We sometimes call it the white throne judgment. But this is where God undoes all the damage that sin has created. He erases all of the marks and traces uh, of the damage of sin in this seventh and final phase of judgment. So you see, when we talk about judgment, it's actually a much more nuanced topic than maybe we sometimes tend to think about it. And there are so many wonderful, positive aspects of it. And I want to just come back now to this topic of the pre-Advent judgment. Because this is one where, within our faith tradition, we've seen pictures like this. Who has seen this picture before? <laughs> now, now what, what do we notice here in this picture? This person is represented, at, you know, a human who's standing here. And what are all these people up here, or these things? Angels, and this looks like Jesus, right? And here are some more angels, and there's a book. And this looks like kind of a scary scene. Would you agree? I mean, this is standing all alone there in front of perhaps millions. And we're just by ourselves standing there. And unfortunately, I don't think that this is a very accurate biblical representation. And this has caused us to have more fear than we should. I mean, we didn't have a, a healthy respect for God. I'm not saying we should, shouldn't have any respect for God, his law, and just the realities of our universe. I have respect for the power as I plug in and unplug my electrical devices. I'm not afraid of my power outlet, but I'm not going to mess around with it, right? Um, so I think images like this have caused us to, we've used fear as a motivator to get people to clean up their act, to live as we think they should. But we've already seen judgment is a really good thing when you've accepted the judge into your life. So sometimes we ask that question, am I good enough? Answer, no, you aren't. A better question is, is Jesus good enough? And have I accepted him? Jesus is always good enough, and if you've accepted him, then by grace, in his eyes, you are perfect. You are spotless. You know, this pre-Advent judgment, we're not doing a sermon on it today, on the timeline of things, but when did it start? 1844, right, that prophecy from Daniel chapter 8, and we saw from Revelation 14 that these three angels' messages began to be proclaimed in present reality starting at that point of time, when we could say, now the hour of God's judgment, this pre-advent judgment had begun. But it's all based upon this yearly ceremony that happened that was pointing forward to this great day of judgment. It was called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. 
And we can learn a lot from how the Jews understood that special day. And I want to share a couple of quotes from you. Let's see, do I have this one? Yeah. So, despite the repentance and abstinence practiced on Yom Kippur, this is from a Jewish author, it was never a what kind of a day? Sad day. This is the day of judgment. It wasn't a sad day. Its atmosphere was solemn, but this was always accompanied by the confidence and joy at finding atonement. It was a solemn day. They recognized it, but it was a joyful day because they realized they were made at one with God on that day. These are people who celebrated this holiday. They know what it's like. We can learn from what they have to say. This is from the Jerusalem Talmud, written at least 1,500 years ago, if not longer. Normally, somebody standing in judgment would, would dress how? Somberly. Cloaking himself or herself in black robes, and they wouldn't trim their beard. After all, he does not know how it will turn out. Israel is different, however. We don't have to, to be afraid because we know the judge. Listen to how he continues. He says, we dress in white and cloak ourselves in white and trim our beards and eat and drink and are joyous for we know that God will do miracles for us. Being judged by God is at once an awesome thing worthy of awe. He knows it all, but he is a merciful God. Even judgment itself need not be devoid of joy. It's an awesome thing. God is worthy of our awe and our reverence, but it's a thing of joy, he writes. So as we think about this pre-Advent judgment, we need to start reframing how we think about it. Really, if you're on death row, condemned to die, and you find out that the judge has just received some more evidence, some new evidence, and they need to have another trial, what are you thinking? I'm already sentenced to death. It can't get any worse. This could be good news, right? Here's, here's, here's the story the Bible tells us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death, okay? We're on death row. And now you find out, wait, there's a judgment? Wait, they're going to have court? Maybe this is going to be good news for me. Maybe my condition is going to improve somehow. And in walks the new evidence, and it's Jesus Christ. There's been some new DNA evidence, he says. I have the blood to prove it. This person is not guilty. This is the good news of the judgment that we need to know, and we need to be proclaiming this. Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, looking, <coughs> excuse me, looking at this day, this pre-Advent judgment, Daniel saw the scene, and it says this, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. On that day, Daniel, looking into the future, he saw a time in the throne room of heaven where God would pronounce a judgment, and it was only good news for God's saints. It was a judgment on the little horn power, and it was good news for the people of God. 
We've been calling this type of judgment the investigative judgment, but really the ones who are investigating, if anybody, are the angels. God is, are you sure that John is safe to bring to heaven? God says, okay, here's, here's the record. Take a look at it. But God already knows who's safe to save and who's not safe to save. Instead, it's been suggested, and I agree with this, we should call it the affirmative judgment. Because remember, we're all on death row, and this is where God affirms to the universe, these are my people, I died for them, they're safe to save, and I'm going to bring them to my kingdom when I return to this world. You can call it the investigative judgment, but I would suggest we call it the affirmative judgment. God affirming who we are in him. Not through our merits, but through the merits of Jesus. Before we close, I want to go to one more passage of scripture, Old Testament. Book of Zechariah. If you can find Matthew, you're doing good because you just hang a left, pass over Malachi, and you get to Zechariah. Some people call it Zechariah, but I see a Z, uh, a Z-E, not a Z-A. In English, at least. Zechariah chapter 3. In the Hebrew, though, it, it's more like an A. So, whatever you want to say, you can say. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. This is a historical figure. He was the high priest during the times of Zechariah and Haggai. High priest at that time. Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Can you picture this in your mind? There's this high priest. He's standing there before the angel of the Lord, also known as the Lord. And there's Satan. And Satan has a big long list of dirty, nasty things that Joshua and his people had done. Joshua's standing as a representative of the people, like you would on the Day of Atonement as the high priest, representing the people before God. And notice the response. Accusations are coming in, and they're true accusations. But verse 2, and the Lord said to Satan, Satan means accuser, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Hey, stop it, Satan. I've pulled them out of the fire just like a hot coal is pulled out of the fire. Now verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with what? Filthy garments. This is the holiest moment of the year. And he doesn't want to go in with stained, defiled garments, but that's all he has to wear because this is a, an image, a symbol of the spiritual filth that he and the people had. He's clothed there in filthy garments, standing before the angel. Verse 4, And he answered and spoke to, to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. 
And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. This is a beautiful picture. Joshua, the high priest, representing the people, clothed with just nastiness. Just picture raw sewage, staining his clothes. He's standing there, he smells, he looks dirty, his clothes are wrinkled. Satan is pointing out all of his sins, rightly so. And God says, let's take away those dirty, dirty, filthy clothes. Let's give him something better. I have a robe of my own I'd like to put on him. Can you picture yourself there in Joshua's position? And you get that clean robe, a clean hat to cover your head. And in God's eyes, you are now spotless and you are clean. Is the judgment good news? It's absolutely good news for anyone who is willing to receive the judge into their life. So as we close today, I ask you the question, have you received the judge into your life? Or are you going to try and defend yourself? Are you going to try and be your own attorney? It doesn't work very well. Spiritually, it doesn't work at all. I want to receive Jesus again today accepting his gift of eternal life and the clean robe of righteousness that he provides. How about you? This is good news for you, and it's good news that we need to share. Let's bow our heads. God of love and justice, we thank you so much that we do not need to be afraid as we think about judgment. Lord, thank you that it's so positive in so many ways And today, having said yes, we want you as our judge, as our Savior, as our Lord, Redeemer. We're just filled with gratitude knowing that uh, in your eyes we are clean, we are cleansed, uh, and we just have good things to look forward to in you. Lord, keep this truth not only in our minds, but keep it in our hearts and emotions. When the devil comes to remind us of our sins, Lord, Uh, remind us of this wonderful reality and give us opportunity to share this good news and hope with others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy, blessed, and wonderful Sabbath.